This, this is, is Yawa Radio. Radio. Oh, welcome to the Yawa Radio podcast. The Yawa Radio podcast is an opportunity again to listen to one of our inspirational, thought-provoking interviews that we have brought to the listeners of Yawa Radio. Yawa Radio is online 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We are your well-being and happiness radio station, bringing the feel-good feeling to every single day of the week. Check us out at yawaradio.co.uk. Now sit back and enjoy this podcast from the Yawa Radio team. Welcome to Jordan Space. Every fortnight, you can join me, your host, Steve Phillip, alongside Danielle and Paul from the Jordan Legacy team, together with some very special guests for an hour of conversation, music, and above all, hope. Welcome to Jordan Space. This show does discuss themes of suicide, and we'd encourage you to take care of yourself by stepping away from the show at any point, should you find the content triggering or uncomfortable to listen to. For support, please visit our website, thejordanlegacy.com, and our help menu options. We'll be meeting this week's guest very shortly when we'll be discussing how we can empower employee well-being and what does that actually mean. First, though, and to help kickstart this session, I'd like to welcome Danny and Paul back to the show. Thanks for being here. I hope you're both well. And let's get right into today's topic of workplace well-being. Danny, I'd like to start by asking you about your own experiences of well-being in the workplace. Now, you worked at a school before you joined the Jordan Legacy for 17 years. How aware were you of kind of mental health and well-being in, in that particular environment? Yeah, well, I'd say for the majority of the time I worked in the school, I wasn't aware of any mental health support for the staff within school. Um, but shortly before I left to work at the Jordan Legacy, I was made aware that there was a counsellor available should any of the staff want to access this support. And I don't know whether this was something that had been in place for a long time and it hadn't been properly communicated. Um, but then because of my own personal circumstances around Jordan, that was sort of when I was made aware there was a counsellor. Um, but if there had been one in place for a long time, I think it just shows the importance of workplaces making it clear to their staff what support is in place for them. Um, and I think there's a lot more pressure on companies now to have mental health initiatives and procedures in place and proper support structures for their staff. Um, Paul, you, you've had a few more years experience in the workplace than, than Danny uh, and also run your own successful business. What have been your experiences of mental health in the workplace? Yeah, well, thanks for putting that so politely, Steve, about having a few more years' experience. Um, yeah, I mean, I've I've seen that general trend uh, growing over time towards uh, at least greater awareness of mental health and well-being, and and some better responses and better environments. When I reflect back on my working experience, you can see how much it has changed. I, I you know left university and was a, a young, ambitious research executive in a fast-moving agency, and and yeah, there was nothing <laughs> it was never considered and, and and we didn't consider it we just everybody worked incredibly hard and didn't realize how punishing that was and there was never any structured support through working in heavily political environments in in, in local government and uh, in how punishing that can be for people uh, and then running a business and growing a business and you know experiencing burnout as a chief executive in a fast growing business and then right through fast forward through to you know kind of more recent times where my, my last role 
in Australia was actually as a workplace wellbeing advisor for a large organisation. Should also mention that you know this is a subject that you've undertaken some research in. Yeah, I mean I've undertaken quite a bit of research into mental health and wellbeing issues over the years, but particularly in the last ten years when I was in Australia, uh, in in the sort of you know about ten years ago, there was a trigger point where uh, insurance companies found that more than fifty percent of the claims they were receiving were mental health related, so that was a big trigger. There was a mentally healthy workplace alliance that was set up with business and government and charities all working together, looking at the number of people who left a job because of a poor mental health environment that was getting up towards 50% as well. Um, and so the whole kind of employer of choice agenda was starting to focus more on mental health and well-being. And we did some really interesting research around people's job choices and the extent to which mental health and well-being was consciously taken into account or subconsciously taken into account, it was starting to come second only to pay in affecting people's job choices. It's one of those things where at the point at which somebody is looking for a job or looking for a move, then other factors will tend to be more important in, in many cases, obviously promotion, advancement, money. And then, of course, if they get into a work environment which is not mentally healthy, not psychologically safe, it, it very quickly becomes number one if it isn't already. You know, there's still this issue, isn't there? There's still this, you know, whether we call it stigma, whatever we call it, where we, we kind of hope we're going to get to a position where we can be really open and just yep. just ask an employer, you know, tell me about your your uh, employee well-being policy. You know, yeah. you know, that's where we need to get to, isn't it, really, where we can just yeah. be that that direct. That's people, right. People feel that they would be potentially penalised by asking a, a direct question about mental health. Um, but, of course, at least these days they've got the benefit of looking on the website and seeing a lot of these wellbeing policies and EAP and counselling, and they can at least ask questions about them. Of course, you still don't know whether that's just policies on and words on a, on a piece of paper or on a screen. So uh, but at least people can ask some questions about that now. Yeah, absolutely. All about walking the talk, isn't it? Now, this week's topic is of particular interest to me. I've you know, I worked in senior management in the automotive industry for a number of years before moving into consultancy, including leadership and management training. Through all those years, I don't ever recall employee well-being being discussed, let alone introduced as an initiative at the companies I work with. Now, I'm encouraged to see more and more organisations recognising the importance of employee well-being, but I feel we still have a long way to go who want to see employers genuinely wanting to make well-being part of their culture. Danny, I know you recently shared um, a great post by uh, one of the Jordan Legacy supporters, Network Scientific Recruitment in Harrogate. Give a shout out to them. Now, they've created and they were posting about a breakout room they've created where staff members can talk openly, take a break and access helpful resources. Are you seeing more posts from companies on social media about well-being and mental health initiatives like this? Yeah, I think there's certainly more awareness from companies to share what they're doing to improve mental health in their workplaces. And employers are recognising that for their employees to thrive, they need to create an environment which does promote and encourage good mental health. Uh, but I do still that there is still think there is that difficulty in getting organisations to sort of specifically discuss suicides and suicide prevention unless they have been directly affected by it themselves in their own companies. Um, 
But having said that, I think it does encourage other companies to follow suit when they see other organisations implementing good mental health practices, um, which is important as long as it's done right. And as you say, it's not just a tick box exercise. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I think, you know, we need to see more companies sharing what they're doing to kind of encourage other companies to do the same. Um, look, thanks both. Uh, let's take a break now to listen to some music. And when we come back, we're going to chat with Harry Bliss, CEO and co-founder of the Yorkshire-based but increasingly global tech well-being company, Champion Health. You're listening to Yawa Radio and we love to bring you details of the inspirational book of the week. We love to bring you the inspirational book of the week. And this week's book is The Slight Edge by Jeff Olson. It's all about turning simple disciplines into massive success. You know, why is it that some people make dream after dream come true, while others just continue dreaming and spend their lives building dreams for someone else? One simple reason, Jeff suggests, is that uh, those that are successful have found their slight edge. The slight edge is not just another self-help motivational tool of methods you must learn in order to make up the path of success. No, no, no. It simply shows you how to create powerful results, how the simple daily activities of your life by using the tools that are already within you. So this week's inspirational book of the week is by Jeff Olson. It is called The Slight Edge, Turning Simple Disciplines into massive success. Welcome back. On December 16th, three weeks after Jordan's suicide, I published an article on LinkedIn titled, The Day My Son Took His Own Life. Within hours of that article being shared, I received a personal message from our next guest. In that message, he explained how he had lost a close friend to suicide and suggested that when the time was right, we might grab a coffee to see how, together, we might prevent further instances of suicide. One month later, in the Starling Cafe in Harrogate, I met a young, fresh-faced Harry Bliss armed with a laptop who went on to show me a demonstration of a digital platform he had co-created, which he suggested would change how employee well-being was analysed and reported on, and importantly, how it would lead to action that both employees and employers could undertake to ensure optimum well-being and a thriving workplace. Harry, welcome to the show. It's great to have you join us on Jordan Space. Thank you. Really excited for today's session and uh, and good to see you again, Steve. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Now, Harry, what I need to share with our listeners is that following that cup of coffee, not only did I think what you and Champion Health were creating was exciting and unlike anything I'd seen before in the employee wellbeing space, but following an invitation from you, I decided to join what was still at that time in 2020, a relatively small team to help spread the word about Champion Health. For anyone not familiar with what you do, can you provide us with an overview? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for all of your support, Stephen. Um, I, I really mean that. And the team um, all want to, to pass on their thanks as well, because I know that I'm joining uh, joining you today. Um, so a bit of an overview around Champion Health. So I worked for the largest wellbeing provider in the UK, um, fresh out of university, squeaky voice, couldn't grow a beard, still can't grow a beard, but my voice has dropped a tiny bit now. Um, and I realized that they were looking predominantly at physical health. And I couldn't understand why we weren't looking at areas such as mental health and well-being, financial well-being, all the way through to insomnia, these other areas of well-being that we know do correlate with physical health, but also are just as important 
um, as physical health too. So I came up with this concept of building the Netflix of well-being, whereby everything in one unified place that can integrate with existing well-being offerings that companies have. Around 97% of companies now have an employee assistance program if they're over a team of 50. So that's a counselling program, but so many people are unaware of it. So our vision is to be able to bring everything together into one ecosystem that's driven through AI and algorithms. So it's all about tech for good. And we've got 120 health experts that have helped devise all of this specific content to make sure it's all evidence-based as well. So we look to, on one level, empower employees to take control of their own well-being, again, whether it's mental health or financial well-being. But then we also look to support the organization in creating the best environment possible to be able to, to enable their employees to flourish. And that's often off the back of anonymized, and that's really important, anonymized data and insight um, that they can then act upon going forwards. Yeah, excellent. And, and look, I heard you refer to the term the Netflix of uh, well-being before. Uh, where did that reference originate uh, from? Well, I think it originated from me having my feet up, having a glass of red wine, watching Netflix, if I'm being completely <laughs> honest. And um, what I realized very quickly is that Netflix have done an amazing job in terms of the user experience, in terms of the way it looks, the way it feels, in terms of having everything from Peaky Blinders through to The Crown or Peppa Pig for my seven-year-old nephew that's ruined all of my algorithms now on Netflix. And Spotify and Apple have done the same. And we look at these consumer-grade apps that we pay money for. And when it comes to workplace health, I'll be quite honest, it's quite an archaic space and it looks a little bit clunky. And that's where we want to build that consumer-grade experience to be able to engage people on a daily basis around the topics that mean the most to them. And instead of looking at the 500,000 health apps that are on the App Store at the moment, many of them are unregulated, which is very dangerous. Um, we want to be that one source to be able to bring things together so it's not £120 for each area of well-being that you're paying. It's one platform that's funded by the employer that's inclusive and accessible to all. Great. So it's a complete experience that's really tailored as well to the individual user. Exactly that. And, and for everyone listening on, on today's session, for everyone on the planet, we all have our own unique wants, our own unique needs, our own unique challenges, our own unique DNA and bias. And that's where, again, we really want to be able to customise that experience to what people want, need, and uh, and to overcome those challenges that they may be facing. Now, although I, I no longer work directly with with Champion Health, um, so I can focus on my work with the the Jordan Legacy, I do keep in touch with you and and the team. And please do send my best back to to everybody uh, there. And and whenever I see a Champion post on social media these days, invariably it seems to be about someone else joining uh, the team. Uh, I've even heard that you now have a global advisory. Board. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it sounds pretty snazzy, doesn't it? And it, it is pretty snazzy, I'll be honest. So, um, yeah, one of the things that, again, we wanted was to be um, the, the, I guess, trailblazers within the space. We wanted to transform workplace health because a lot of the research that's being utilised in the space is from the 1980s and 90s. And how much has the world moved on? There wasn't even the iPhone out 15, 20 years ago. And so if we're utilising evidence based from that area and that, that time, it's just probably invalid, um, to, to be quite honest. So what we did was um, we, we said, OK, we need a, a core team um, that are able to advise us that have been there and done it within the largest organisations. And we can learn from best practice. We can learn from the latest evidence base and they can all bring a unique skill set. So we put together a team of seven um, global experts within the health and wellbeing space. That comprises of the ex-head of well-being of John Lewis, the ex-head of health and um, vice president of health at BP, the ex-head of well-being at Virgin Media, all the way through 
to the likes of Serco, Racket, that are just global brands. Um, and again, we, what we wanted to do was to be able to train up our team um, as much as anything that continual L&D, but also be able to demonstrate to the space that we are forward thinking. Um, we've got the best in the space. Um, and they've just been absolutely incredible, um, the people that we've got on that board. And they're doing around two days um, a month for champion at the moment. And it's just led to, to huge opportunity and more impact, quite simply, for our member base. Yeah, that wealth of experience must must be uh, in, invaluable. Um, just before the, the last piece of music, Danny, Paul and I were chatting about our experiences of well-being and, and mental health in the workplace. And this is something I'd like to explore with you during the time we have today. Um, before we do discuss this, I know that part of your motivation for creating Champion Health is that you've had your own experience with mental health problems and suicidal ideation in the past. And then not long after founding Champion Health, suicide affected your life very personally yeah. when a close friend and your business mentor took his own life. Without going into the details of how James died, um, would you like to explain about that event and how it shaped what you're doing now? Yeah, so it's um, it's a really devastating story of someone that I, I guess I aspired to be um in in a huge way and if we rewind four and a half years ago that's when i was working at the largest provider and um, well-being provider and i had this concept of building the netflix of well-being as we've gone through and really fortunate we had a team of academics that i kept the relationship at university so it was all again evidence-based but if i'm being completely honest with you as a three-year-old with a grand vision with a lot of energy and a healthy dose of naivety probably in there as well um, I knew that I, I I was very inexperienced within the business world. So I approached James and James was the youngest director on the FTSE 100 at the time. He had an amazing wife and, and two kids. His career had gone from strength to strength and he was that community person and the life and soul of the party um, whenever he was in the room. And he lived with positive mental well-being throughout his lifetime. And I wouldn't be talking to you today. We probably wouldn't have met if it wasn't for, for the support that James had given me. Um, I'd truly think that the business probably would have tanked within the first year or so and you know those people that invest the time but they don't have the time that was James to me so um really what what happened was James had a, a period and a really short period which is quite rare um of around two weeks of a really severe bout of stress and tragically four years ago almost to the day ended up taking his own life and that's the fire in my belly that I wake up with every single morning is how can we make a difference? How can we support people like James whilst they're thriving and whilst they're well? Because James was for such a large proportion of his life. And then how can we support people like James that may be struggling, may be in crisis? Um, how can we get them into services faster and earlier than before or speak openly with their friends, colleagues or family members? So that's really our why at Champion um, and the mission that we set out on off the back of that was to, to change and save lives. Yeah, I can see that being a huge, huge driver and, you know, very conscious, as you say, you know, almost uh, to, to the day in terms of James' death. I mean, today we look at the 4th of October and, of course, 4th of December that Jordan took his own life. So we're kind of 34 months on there. So these these dates, you know, still very much stand out um, for us. Yes. Um, thanks, Harry, for putting that into context there. And obviously we were sorry to hear about about James. In terms of suicide specifically, I just want to ask you, there's a lot of mental health stuff out there. Uh, we've talked earlier, uh, Steve and Danny and I, about increasing interest in mental health in the workplace and well-being programs and well-being strategies. Yeah. Uh, and we're regularly approached by organisations to ask about well-being. 
but it's still difficult to get them talking about suicide specifically yeah. and suicide prevention. So how has your experience, your own experience, impacted on what you do and what does Champion Health do specifically in the area of suicide and suicide, suicide awareness and suicide prevention? Yeah, I think this is a challenge in the space at the moment that the organisations that are doing things specifically around suicide prevention are the ones that have either been directly affected or the individuals that are able to make the decisions within the organisation have been affected outside. And that's something that we're really trying to change the dial. And it's very hard because that's down to, to human psychology and how we're hardwired and the fact that emotive stories that are relatable to us, we're much more likely to take action within that arena in the future. I think those organisations that are willing to discuss it, they reap huge benefits um, across the team and teams really respect it. What we know off the back of our data is that one in 10 people are experiencing crisis or suicidal ideation at any given time within mm -hmm. the workplace. And that's global statistics and UK statistics as well that Champion Health have collected in terms of the risk. So there's a huge risk there. Organisations can make one or two decisions, in my opinion. One is to sweep under the carpet. That's not what I'd recommend to do for so many reasons, business reasons, legal reasons, all the way through to moral reasons as well. The second one is to talk about it openly and create that culture of psychological safety. Now, in terms of interventions as to how we do this, that's the challenging part. So one of the big things that we can do is look at mental health first aid training. I like mental health first aid training, but I think it's one solution of many. Um, what we also need to look to do is to, to give everyone a base level understanding um, because if I just rewind back to, to James's story, it was someone within their workplace that wasn't at the top level of the organisation, that wasn't available um, to, to be able to get a mental health first aid training, that actually spotted the warning signs of James struggling and in crisis, but didn't know what to say, was worried they'd make the problem worse. So I think that's a really important thing. And actually, I would encourage that there's some legislation to be, be put in place, a bit like fire safety training that everyone can have a base level understanding. There's so much more that we can do all the way from assessments, for example, um, making sure the screening's in place and we're gathering the data as well as an organisation, as well as ensuring that we've got psychological safety throughout our company as well. So it's a really a multidisciplinary approach, um, mm -hmm. but the organisations that are investing in this topic and are investing in the conversations, not just money, but in terms of time. Um, and that's a really important thing. Um, they're the ones that, that I'd want to work for quite simply, and I'm sure many people would going forwards. Yeah, and we've Steve and I have talked about this a few times as well, about how having those conversations about suicide, there's transferable learning there as well. It's about helping people have other difficult conversations in the workplace, yeah? Absolutely, and, and listening is one of the most important skills that I'm trying to learn more around at the moment, and I think people assume that they're great listeners very quickly. Um, and often it's not the case. Um, so that's where the transferable skills that you mentioned, Paul, are, are absolutely vital and valid as well. Um, and yet yeah, can be uh, can be transferred across the, the whole organisation. Harry, thank you for, for that. I'd, I'd like to ask you about the workplace wellbeing landscape currently. Are, are you seeing things changing? And, and if so, what are those changes that you're experiencing? It's changing at a rate of knots at the moment. And someone asked me, um, what are we predicting over the next 12 to 24 months is going to uh, be the, the big topic that, that organisations are focusing on? I, I just don't know if I'm being honest. If you asked me that two or three years ago, I'd have loved to see how incorrect I was um, with now the cost of living crisis, the COVID pandemic. Um, and there seems to be a crisis looming at every single stage. And part of that's down to the media storm that they love to whip up. But part of it is because... There are so many challenges within modern society that, that individuals and, and communities are facing at the moment. 
Um, the big challenge for me that organizations are facing, it goes back to what Paul was mentioning, is that there have never been so many well-being providers. We're one of those that are out there. It's never been such a, a noisy space. And if we look traditionally at HR teams, they're not trained up within well-being specifically. And a really key area for me is how can we bring it together into one cohesive pattern? package that's easy to communicate going forwards because again all companies and organizations are offering these amazing benefits but they're not being utilized we know that 25 to 30 percent of people are experiencing moderate to severe anxiety or depression at any given time yet their employee assistance program the counseling program they offer that's free of charge has about three percent utilization every year and so there's a big mismatch within here so i think the big thing for organizations to do is to look to listen to employees first of all and then communicate really clearly and concisely what they're offering is, how they're supporting them. But the most important thing, and people ask me, what's the one thing that I wish would change within the, the field of workplace health? It's around authenticity and the companies that get it right, they're the ones where their words marry up with their actions and making sure there's congruency between those is absolutely vital as well. So whilst I can't necessarily predict what the next crisis or the next challenge may be, I think listening to employees intently communicating to them clearly the benefits offering, but then making sure the words marry up to the actions within the organization is absolutely vital. And just one final thing, and that's not to say that every employer needs to, to have a world-class wellbeing strategy. I personally actually respect the CEO of Goldman Sachs, and this is quite a controversial opinion. The CEO of Goldman Sachs said, our new grads need to work 80 to 100 hours per week. And not, I wouldn't choose to do that. A lot of my friends wouldn't choose to do that. I see a lot of organizations saying, we're going to care about your well-being. We're putting your well-being first. And they join these organizations and then they're asked to do 80 to 100 hours a week. And it's not what they've signed up to. And so if companies can be really transparent around how much they will invest in, in individuals' well-being, individuals can make an informed decision off the back of that. Then it may be that I'm going to work 80 to 100 hours per week. Again, I wouldn't necessarily condone that, but that's an individual choice that they are able to make going forwards. And I think that transparency is really important going forward too. Um, thanks so much for now, Harry. Let's take a break. And when we return, I'd like to get your views on what you feel companies need to be doing if they are to genuinely safeguard the well-being of their employees and what you suggest the benefits are to companies who make this approach part of their culture. Let's play some music and we'll continue our chat with Harry after this. This, this is, is Yawa, Yawa Radio. Radio. Hi, this is Steve. Just popped in to remind you to join me every day of the week right here on Yawa Radio for Yawa Breakfast. They're probably the best way to start your day. Listen out for the inspirational book of the week. We've got some great health and well-being tips for you and much, much more. And you might like to play What Song Are These Words From? Great feel-good music to start your day and lots, lots more. Join me 7 till 10 every day of the week for Yawa Breakfast right here on Yawa Radio. Welcome back. You're listening to Jordan Space. Today, we're talking with Harry Bliss, CEO and co-founder of Champion Health, a global digital well-being organization whose mission is to make a measurable impact on the positive well-being of employees in the workplace. Harry, since you founded Champion Health in 2018, you've had an opportunity to assess and report on the well-being approaches of many companies. Are there any particular patterns you've seen to how these companies are looking after the well-being of their employees or perhaps how they're not doing so? Yes, it's a really good question. And I think the one thing that I have learned is that every organization is very, very unique in their own individual ways and their senior leadership teams all the way through um, to, to the, the, the ground floor of the organization. And 
that's something that companies need to recognize. Um, I see a lot of organizations doing things because other companies do it. And I would encourage organizations to do things because their team need it um, or their organization needs it. Um, so in this space, I've seen uh, mental health first aid again. One example, when we asked organizations, why are you doing it? It's because another company is doing it rather than it's because our team really need it, for instance. So that's one thing that, that I have noticed. Um, but organizations now are definitely listening um, around well-being in, in much more of a significant way. It's taken part in part of the employee surveys. For some organizations, I, I encourage this to be part of all organizations, board level meetings, um, but well-being is being discussed at board level. And the CEO we've uh, we caught up before um, this session, um, the CEOs are, are now more engaged um, in this topic more than ever because it's not just the right thing for the people, it's the right thing for the business as well. And of course, those two things correlate going forward. So we're seeing trends in the right direction. There's a long way to go. Um, I don't think we'll ever achieve that stage that we all we all have in terms of um, the North Star, um, but definitely it's trending in the right direction with uh, with the increased pressure, especially in the labour market. Companies that weren't doing it previously are being forced to now. I know you referred to companies needing to be more transparent and and, and listen more more effectively. You, you know, other two or three areas of well-being that that almost kind of frustrate you that you're seeing generally companies not paying more attention to. Yeah, it's again a really good question. This is the challenge for organisations that when we look at well-being, there are so many different areas from uh, mental health, financial well-being, social well-being, all the way through to physical health. And just alone within physical health, you've got everything from eye health, headaches, migraines, musculoskeletal health, colds and flu, long-term health conditions from COVID, all the way through to type 2 diabetes. And organisations need to tread a really fine line between what is their responsibility and how far can they go? Um, a lot of organizations need to be able to make a profit um, to be able to keep the shareholders happy or be able to make a difference if they're in the third sector, for example. And we do also need to have a, a healthy dose of reality of how far and how much we can do within our organizations. And again, it's very different. Some companies are really focused on mental health. That might come at the cost of campaigns around the menopause, for example. Some are really focused on financial well-being. And there's no right or wrong. There's one thing that I would say is as long as there is the right resource allocated towards well-being, um, and when, again, I talk about resource, that's team members, um, that's the boots on the ground across the organization, the right level of investment, and there is some level of investment that's needed, but more than anything, time that's invested into this topic to have open conversations, again, whether it's at board level or throughout the organization, that's the most important thing for, for organizations to be looking at. Uh, hi, Harry. Um, I just wondered if you saw a direct link between physical health and mental well-being. Yeah, I think it's a really important question. And um, yeah, a huge correlation. And it's bi-directional as well, um, meaning that physical health is impacting mental health, but mental health is also impacting physical health. And what we're starting to see is instead of seeing them in silo, seeing them very much as one, because when I feel anxiety, I feel it physically predominantly um, before I feel anything um, sort of more traditionally psychologically. Um, so, for example, my eye starts twi twitching. Um, I might start to get butterflies within my stomach. I might start to feel more tired and lethargic, for instance. And that will then start to impact things such as my blood pressure or um, as much as my partner um, doesn't like this part, my uh, the amount that I perspire. Um, and so 
I think it's a really important thing to to look at when it comes to to mental health and physical health. And we know again, cardiovascular disease is a, a huge risk factor within certain demographics across the the, the country. And um, stress is one of the main risk factors of cardiovascular disease and heart attacks going forwards. So the more we can start to shift the dial away from looking at individual areas of well-being, um, more towards a more holistic area um, and a holistic model where we know that our sleep in fact impacts our physical impacts our physical activity physical activity impacts our physical health which impacts our mental health which impacts you can see where this is going within here i think it's a really important area to to be able to look into more and i think across the next five to ten years we're going to see a big shift across the well-being and health landscape harry i'm, I'm interested in the nature of the clients that you have and in in asking that question i'm conscious that you know it depends on who you get to you and who you reach out to and who's committed to all of this but uh, a lot of these, um, a lot of the case studies that we see uh, are big corporates, big corporates investing in this uh, and, and making a lot of noise about it, maybe because they're committed, maybe because they just want to make a lot of noise about it. Um, but obviously there's public sector organisations, there's, there's charities, there's a whole range of different organisations that all have these same issues. Uh, and ironically, we sometimes hear people have had bad experiences with their mental health working for mental health charities yeah um but uh, what's the what's the kind of nature of your your client base that you currently have and that you're trying to reach out to yeah great great question so um at the moment it's a vast array um from the energy sector all the way through to professional services and law firms all the way through to nhs trust that we support um and when people ask us what are the types of clients that you look to work with it's the organizations that care, that don't want to treat this topic as a tick box. It's organizations that are truly invested in their employees' well-being. Now, the big challenge that we find um, is, and some data again to, to share with you, um, the corporate teams in comparison to the SMEs, the smaller organizations, they have poorer levels of well-being traditionally. Now, when we look at the public sector as well, the big challenge that we have as Champion Health is a lot of it is shaped by policy. Um, for example, my partner's a night shift worker, works in the NHS as a stroke nurse, and a lot of her well-being is impacted by, first of all, her shift pattern, um, second of all, by the pay structure, for example, within the organisation, mm -hmm. whether a pension's going to be affected, and these are all challenges outside of champions' control, and actually, if we were to go in there and say, here's a platform that can look after all of these areas of well-being, a lot of those people would probably turn around, and my partner included, and say, actually, what we actually need is reduced workload or better staffing yep. levels, more funding going into there. So that's one of the challenges that we do face, whereas within the corporates, there's a lot more within their control, and there's a lot more action that we can, can be taken a lot faster. But what we do find is that the smaller organisations generally have much more of a tight-knit community. Stuff can be done much more fast. Um, you can spot the warning signs quicker, if there are toxic team members as well that are impacting other people's well-being, it's a lot easier to, in a healthy way, and this is a really important thing, again, quite a controversial comment that I'm going to make, but we need to be able to part ways with individuals in a good way. We need to be able to give, to, to give them the feedback mm -hmm. that are actually impacting other people's well-being um, because it sends out a really strong message to the organisation that this is a topic that we're taking seriously and this is a code of conduct that we live by. Um, in terms of our values and our practices. And that's something that the NHS don't have the, the privilege of doing, unfortunately, because of the policy and the practice that they follow, whereas the, the smaller organisations can spot these things much faster and make those decisions much faster or give the feedback much faster, um, which leads to a healthier culture going forward. So, yeah, it's a wide variety of organisations we work with. 
um, all facing their own unique challenges um, within there too. And in terms of commitments, uh, again, you know, we see that wide variety in terms of actual commitment to it. And I'm sure you come across it as, as well. Um, and you will get that tick box element or the, you know, risk management, that kind of traditional risk management, protecting the organisation from its people uh, in, the, in the worst cases. So sometimes we hear that reply, oh, well, we've got an EAP. But like you said earlier, I mean, it doesn't mean that people actually use it or counselling is available. But then the evidence shows that people aren't taking that up. So are you in a position to help, uh, you know, gently challenge, if you like, or encouraged by by showing the right data, you know, not the kind of employee, generalised employee satisfaction survey type data. This is, you know, this is the uptake of these services or these are the reasons why people aren't taking up, you know, the options that are available. Yeah, there's a few things to unpack within there and employee assistance programmes generally don't really like Champion Health. Um, and one of the reasons why is because their model um, is based upon um, just an annual fee, a flat fee. And so they don't want to drive usage because the more counselling sessions, and this is quite a cynical view, again, my third controversial uh, point of the day today, um, the more usage they have, the lower their margins. And many of them are profit driven organisations. And that really doesn't align with the mission that we're all on together. Um, there are a couple of EAPs which actually say we'll up the pricing and so we want to drive usage and engagement and that's much more conducive to a healthy environment and what Champion um, have ended up doing is increasing the utilisation of those services by making them more transparent, making them more obvious and in front of people and communicating clearly what they can and can't do as well to those individuals and a key element is personalisation for me. Um, I mentioned it right at the very start that we all have our own unique wants, our own unique needs and challenges what we're able to do is actually customize um, the platform to the individual. So if they are experiencing moderate severe uh, to severe depressive symptoms, for instance, we can get them into that service faster and earlier than before. So we've demonstrated a, a twofold um, uptake within certain organizations of their employee assistance program. And we very much are there. Whilst we are a digital wellbeing provider predominantly, we offer that consultancy service to be able to review um, the strategy that organizations have, because that's a really important thing to blend the digital with the human side of things to ensure that organizations are making the right decisions they're not doing things as a tick box they're investing in the most mm -hmm. important areas um, off the back of that data and the third thing i just wanted to mention um, which relates to, to your question as well paul is a lot of the data that we look at within companies um, very much are lag indicators and so often it's absence data or staff turnover data which looks at maybe two three four percent of the organization that are off sick at any one time what about the 96% that are at work that may be working with a mental health challenge um, or disorder, for example, or actually the proportion of people that are finding or going through bereavement, for instance. So what we can do is take that holistic view of the whole of the workforce, no matter whether you're off sick at the moment or whether you're at work, and start to demonstrate what's the impact that, of, uh, of poor well-being and good well-being upon the workforce as a whole, rather than just that 2 3 4% that you're then shaping the whole of your strategy around. Thanks, Harry. Thanks, uh, Paul. Um, just re really interesting, just an observation from me, really. I, um, when I was um, uh, working with an organization recently, one of their senior directors, you know, 
we were talking about well-being and the focus uh, on uh, mental well-being particularly and of course the issue came up of performance management still and and you know what we what we can't lose track of here is that companies still need to perform and if people are underperforming going back to what Paul said earlier about you know the need to have difficult conversations i think we mustn't lose track of the fact that you know, managers still need to have these difficult conversations yeah. with people, but do so in a way that is cognizant of their, you know, the well-being of that employee. And, and you know, we've heard, you know, very tragically of situations where people have been dismissed from a role or, you know, there's, there's been an issue that they've had to be temporarily suspended. And that's had a huge impact. And in some cases, tragically, people have left the office, um, taken their, their own lives. So, you know, it's really important that, that you know, we, we, we keep the balance of well-being in context with the need that companies actually, actually perform as well. Absolutely. And, and there's a huge correlation between well-being and high performance. And I think predominantly the correlation is from well-being to high performance. And what I mean by that is when, when someone's not performing, there's often a well-being challenge and an issue there. And I would encourage anyone that's in a line management position or a leadership position to lead with um, asking them whether they're okay to begin with if they are underperforming. And even mentioning, I've noticed that you've not quite been performing at the level that you may expect or, or we may expect as an organization. Is everything okay? And leading with that conversation is really important because the vast majority of the time, things aren't okay from my experience when someone's not performing. It might be parental issues all the way through to a challenge with themselves or their friends and family members. Um, and if they're underperforming, it may be that they're underperforming, that their, their well-being is taking a hit because so many people that I know um, and I'm friends with, um, they want to do well at work. Um, I've never really met anyone that doesn't want to do a good job at work. Um, so I think that's a really important thing to shift the dial away from um, why aren't you performing to how are things? Um, and, and that's a really important start of the, the conversation there. Harry, um, we, we always like to end uh, our, our shows on a message of, of hope at, at the Jordan Legacy and uh, kind of looking ahead uh, for Champion Health. What What's kind of next on, on the agenda? What's the next big thing you're uh, aiming for there? Well, how long have we got? If I've not put uh, people to sleep already, I might do with this answer, but now I'll keep it very short. Um, the first thing is global. Um, we're very lucky to live in the UK. And whilst there's so much work that we need to be doing, and you're doing amazing work campaigning um, around this topic for changes in legislation, we just onboarded a new country. I think it's our 124th country that we're now in, where suicide um, is still illegal and suicidal attempts. And that's a huge factor for me to make sure that we achieve this mission of making well-being more inclusive, accessible and engaging, to be able to go into those countries to challenge stereotypes um, and to challenge the, the practices that, that they've put in place and the archaic um, natures potentially that, that they've adopted. The second area that I'd like to touch upon is champion kids. And this brings a big smile to my face because we know that 50% of mental health um, challenges and, and issues um, are actually um, in individuals under the age of, or first posed in, for, for individuals under the age of 16, um, and 75%, I think it's under the age of 25. And from my personal experience, I really struggled at university. And I look back to childhood, I had a really lucky childhood and, and an amazing childhood. But I just wondered if that would have prevented me um, from going through the challenge and experiencing suicidal ideation myself. So Champion Kids in the next six to 12 months, um, the team are working on to be able to support the next generation's mental health. Um, and that's something I'm really proud of. And I'm just itching at the bit to be able to, to get live. No, that's that's really exciting to hear, Harry. And it kind of reminds me of the, the, the famous Desmond Tutu quote, you know, we, we've got to stop 
pulling people out of the the river and find out why they're falling in in the first place and go back to source and without question the future well-being of of us as, as a population is very much down to how we support our children harry uh, thank you so much for joining us on jordan space today it's been great to, to have you with us please do pass on our best to uh, everyone at, uh, at champion and just thanks again for uh sharing everything with us today thank you all thank you all for for all of your work around this uh, this topic as well time for another inspirational quote be happy be inspired there is no greater harm than that of time wasted Michael Angelo. Welcome back. Danny, Paul, I thought that today's conversation with Harry sent a real message of hope to anyone looking to make a difference in the well-being space, no matter what age you are. To have achieved what he has whilst only in his 20s is quite remarkable, really. Yeah, it's amazing. He obviously has a, a really clear aim and vision of what he wants Champion Health to achieve in terms of improving uh, well-being in the workplace. And I think it just really shows from what he says that for employees to thrive and for them to be happy and healthy, um, employers have to be promoting and encouraging good mental health in the workplace. And and Paul, you know, what, what were some of the takeaways from what Harry shared with us today for you? Yeah, well, I think that, um, I mean, first of all, he is a remarkable young man, as you, as you described him. And uh, from a business perspective, it's amazing what he's achieving and the determination and, uh, you know, continuing vision that he has. So there's a lot of things in what he was saying which were making me think about the whole area of information and what we gather and how we use that effectively. Um, and then there's a few other points that really stood out. I mean, he said towards the end there about the global perspective on suicide, and that's something that obviously you know, some people think about, other people don't think about. Uh, the fact that there are still so many countries around the world where suicide attempts are, are considered an illegal act. The World Health Organization has a target to reduce the number of global suicides by a third by 2030. So uh, I'm interested in how they're going to achieve that. Um, but then there was um, uh, other points which I think are really, really important. And I'll just pick on one. And that is that this is a business performance issue as well. Um, you know, I think businesses really need to get that uh, to have sustainable success as an organization year after year after year. It isn't about burning out your best people, <laughs> as they often do. It isn't about you know, having a fantastic year and then a not so good year and then another big year and then another low year and having a roller coaster ride. You know, sustainable success is about having an optimal mental health and well-being environment and looking after your people so that they can perform at a high level. Uh, well, look, that, that's it for another week until our next show on the 27th of, of October. Thanks both, as always, and thank you for listening too. As always, I hope you found today's show informative, and if you do have any comments or questions about the points discussed today, you can find us on Twitter at Jordan Legacy UK or at the same address on Instagram. You can also visit our website, thejordanlegacy.com. From me, Steve Phillip, and everyone here at The Jordan Legacy, look after yourselves and those close to you, and we look forward to having you join us for our next show very soon. A big thank you for taking the time out to listen to this podcast from the team at Yawa Radio. Remember to check us out live online 24 hours a day, seven days a week at yawaradio.com. 
co.uk. And if you'd like to join us as a guest on Yawa Radio or as a guest on the Yawa Radio podcast, we would love to hear from you. Simply email studio at yawaradio.co.uk. Once again, a big thank you for taking the time out to listen. This is the Yawa Radio podcast. Copyright applies. With inspirational guests from around the world, inspirational quotes, the inspirational book of the week, the meditation hour, the quiet zone, and feel-good music. Yawa Radio is about well-being, happiness, and finding the beauty within. Enjoy. Be beautiful. Be happy. Be inspired. This is Yawa Radio. Radio.